Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a podcast about the Swift programming language and other projects at swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Smart. And before we dive in today, we'd love to thank our first sponsor, which is Sentry. Uh, Sentry wants you to know that all code is broken, but it's all right because you can fix it together. Now, if you rely on your customers to report errors, basically if you treat them like an offsite QA team, that's not great for them or for you. It's rude for customers and it's bad for business, really. And ideally, you'd solve all this with tests, but you can't cover every scenario with tests. Humans are pretty bad at writing tests, not just because we're lazy, but also because we can't possibly think of every single way that user is going to interact with the product. So that's why Sentry tells you about errors in your code before your customers have a chance to encounter them. And not only do they tell you about them, they also give you all the details you need to be able to fix them. You'll know exactly how many users have been impacted by a bug, the stack trace, the commit that caused the error, and the person who was involved in touching that code. So to check them out, please go to sentry.io slash four slash swift. Once again, that's sentry.io slash four slash swift. All right, so today uh, we are going to talk about something completely uncontroversial, uh, which is a recent pitch on the Swift forums for an official style guide and formatter for Swift. What are your initial thoughts on this? Uh, Well, I think everyone who's ever programmed uh, has thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, and so this could and they're all wrong. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. That's that's step one of uh, is acceptance, really, knowing that there is no one true way. Yes, except for our way, right? Yeah. Even then, depending on the week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is being uh, officially pitched by Tony Alavado and Dave Abrahams. Um, they're co-authoring this pitch here. And uh, they're um, they're also uh, calling out that several other people on the Swift team have been contributing to this. Um, so this is not, you know, a uh, a completely out of nowhere sort of effort. And in fact, you know, if you've been following along with the um, with the technical implementation of this, it dates back probably like a year and a half at least at this point um, in Google's fork of the Swift language where there's a format branch uh, where this has been you know, prototyped or developed and, and iterated on over time. Um, one other notable person that, that comes to mind that's worked on this among others is Harlan Haskins as well. So mm-hmm. uh, this, this has been in the works for quite some time. You know, It's not coming out of nowhere. Yes, and this Google format tool is uh, written on top of uh, lib syntax, right? And um, there's another tool as well. Yeah, it's written on top of Swift syntax. Which or, sorry, yes. Our Swift bindings to lib syntax. Gotcha. Yes. That's what I meant. Yep. Um, right. And uh, mentioned either in the proposal or in this thread, Tony says the development of that format tool was written from the beginning with the intent of contributing it back, right? Right. Yeah. And this pitch is really, um, well, it's in two parts. 
Yeah. Uh, and then there's also further parts to be had. So the, the pitch as it currently stands is really uh, discussing whether or not Swift should have an official style guide and whether or not it should have an official formatter. Uh, it has no... Um, I mean, it alludes to some of the ways in which that could be done, but that's really not the meat or the answer um, that they're that they're trying to get to with this proposal. This is really more of should we do this at all, and then subsequent proposals would actually have more of the details in terms of um, how they would get to the style guide and how they would build the formatter. Right. Um that will be something to look forward to the style guide proposal like what the style rules are absolutely in the process by which um they're uh synthesized right process by which they're they're determined whether or not it's it's in or not or um yeah uh whether like exactly the specific uh the spe- specific rules that surround it as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah one thing that you know, having worked on on Swift style intros for a while, um, yeah. one thing that isn't immediately obvious uh, unless you've really worked on a linter is exactly how um, rules that we have in our head mm-hmm. in terms of like how to indent or like use certain functions over others, like exactly the details and edge cases that play into like what we consider to be like a, a good way to style it. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of it uh, pertains to more of kind of like the, the white space indentation, new line uh, behavior more than um, kind of exactly what function is used at what times. Right, or like explicitly using self dot or... Sure, some things are a little easier than others, but um, overall I'd say like, even if you think that your personal programming style ha- like follows a strict set of rules unless you've like formally specified them <laughs> odds are that it, it's probably very complex what you consider to be like your canonical way of writing swift right right luckily i have formally specified a rule set for myself have you yeah yeah so i'm all set yeah, yeah. do you fuzz that formal <laughs> specification <laughs> for like to make sure that it <laughs> doesn't fall apart um, no need for that. Well, I mean, if you had formally specified what syntax style you like, you would have written a linter. <laughs> right. It yeah. would be a formal linter. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. So I, I have a few opinions on the style guide aspect of this, and then I guess we can jump into like the formatter sure. thing. So initially, um, I'm pretty indifferent. I really don't. This is not something that is massively important to me, I guess. And to be honest, something I really don't see worthwhile to spend that much time on. I think tools to implement a style guide or like style enforcements are worthwhile, but the actual like official style guide, um, I'm not sure it's worthwhile to have a some sort of officially sanctioned uh, style. Yeah, and to be clear, this is like totally different from like the API design style guides, right? Like how to 
like array.sort versus array.sorted, you know, that whole API naming. You mean the Swift API naming guidelines? Yeah. um, Yeah, Kind of tackle different aspects of, of code design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still feel like it it kind of falls into this idea of style, right? And so I, I think the API guidelines are important to have. Um, and I think those are valuable. Um, but as far as style in terms of white space, new lines, etc., I don't know how much value there is in, in that. Yeah. Um, since you brought up the Swift API naming guidelines... Um, would you what would you feel about um, some sort of automation or, or linting that would uh, try to lint those the use of those guidelines like specifically for naming right because some of the guidelines um, do uh, vary based on some of the uh, some of the properties of the code right like for example um, if a method is mutating versus it returns uh, a, a mutated copy of self right of the caller then there are different naming conventions to use how would you feel about some sort of linter that validated that those guidelines were being respected right i would actually love that and also like the uh the parts there are parts of guidelines that um reduce verbosity for like parameter names and things like that one of the things i can never decide is um, if you have like a method, it's going to return something. Let's say you have like one parameter value um, and be like something for value. And the thing I always like get stuck on or like can't decide which way to write it is like something, then capital F4, then open parentheses, and then the value or something, open parentheses, for as the parameter name, then colon. Right. Whether for is part, for or with or any sort of yeah. um, specifier like that would be part of the function name or the parameter label. Exactly. Yeah. So that distinction, and I feel like it's inconsistent, maybe just because of the bridging from um, the overlays. Um, but also I feel like elsewhere it's, it can be inconsistent. So that's actually kind of the funny part about this is that, um, if you write it in objective C, you'll have a consistent set of, uh, like Swift translations because it's being automated by the Clang importer. Uh, and so it's actually easier to follow those naming guidelines by writing objective C for Swift (laughs) than it is for writing Swift as is today. Right. Okay, so that's the solution. Write everything in Objective-C, so then it translates to Swift. Yeah, it's Objective-C-driven development, where you know you write it in Objective-C first. <laughs> right. Um, okay, yeah, I mean, this was a little bit of an aside, but um, it just goes to show that different people, I guess, care about different aspects of code style. And yeah, uh, But I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head in some ways in terms of I think you'll find you ask most programmers um, if they care about style, and most of them will say no as long as it's consistent. But then most people would also, probably to a lesser degree, uh, prefer consistent code yeah. over inconsistent code. And so, right, this is where um, moving 
the uh, the style definition as far upstream as you can um, can perhaps have some advantages, mm-hmm. uh, and especially more the enforcement of that style, especially if it's done in a way that minimizes um, the amount of friction that, uh, say, like an experienced Swift programmer, and we can say experienced Swift programmer at this point because the language has been out for like five years, but right. um, it, you know, if if they were writing what's considered more or less to be um, like a modern Swift style, right? Like not necessarily the style that's used uh, in the compiler itself, in the standard library itself, um, but more the style that's used in the predominant domain in which Swift is written, which is typically apps for Apple platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much friction would be added by integrating um, by either defining an official style guide, right? How much would it deviate from that kind of unspoken norm? Mm-hmm. And how much friction would an automatic tool that either enforces or corrects violations thereof would add to the process of developer writing code? Right. I, I think those need to be like important metrics, I guess, to use a, a big business term yeah. in terms of like making sure that this is an effective um uh, solution. Yeah, and I guess and the other part of that, which I guess you touched on, is like making sure it can be automated because otherwise there's no point in this, in my opinion. If you have a style guide, but there's no way to automatically mm-hmm. enforce it, then uh, I don't see much of a use. Um, yeah, I think I think reasonable people might disagree there. Um, you know, I don't think I would go as far as to say that. No, no source code analysis tool is useful that can't also correct something that it identifies. Right? Like you look at the at ASAN, TSAN, the Clang analyzer, right? Uh, things like that that can detect um, potential issues in code that don't always have an automated way to correct it. You know, it's still useful. So, uh, sure, yeah, yeah. You, you, you mean like something that were so official is to be almost required that wouldn't have like that automatic correction capability would be more detrimental than like say something that was entirely opt-in yeah i think uh yeah so i guess there's two things one is detection and then one is like auto correction of uh, mistakes or violations um if all you have is I mean, detection is valuable, and that's a way to enforce this. Uh, so I think that has to exist outside of just like here's here are style guidelines. So tooling around like detecting it, but I think m- the majority of those, in my opinion, should be easily like auto correctable, um, because then you're just placing a big burden on developers. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, you know. Uh, For example, um, you know, like we use SwiftLint at work and every once in a while there's a new rule that's added or there's one that we discover that we want to um, adopt, um, but there's no autocorrect rule for it. You know, those are opt-in in in SwiftLint. So um, some things can be autocorrected, some can't. And if if it's too, um, if there are too many violations and no autocorrect rule, we don't adopt it because there's just too much overhead. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 
Um, I, I think that's fair. And uh, I'd say this probably depends on like a case-by-case basis, right? Sure. If it's strictly cosmetic, um, then there's probably the the friction to adopting it is probably um, weighed more importantly than if a linter was identifying, say, a code anti-pattern or like a performance That's true. problem um, yeah. that also sometimes can't be mechanically corrected, but might um, might identify like some critical parts of code that needs to be reviewed by a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, top of mind was more cosmetic issues. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, since you brought it up, not me, uh, the, the elephant in the room here um, is kind of how does the, the proposed solution in terms of tooling, you know, the, the linter and uh, formatter that's being proposed, um, which, again, is this tool that's built on top of Swift syntax that's been in Google's fork of Swift for some time. Um, how does that compare to some of the alternatives that should be considered, but aren't in alternatives considered in the pitch for some reason? Um, how does it compare to the uh, kind of industry or community standard tools that that have been adopted in Swift um, in the last few years? And Swift Format comes to mind. SwiftLint comes to mind. Um, there are others as well. Um, I think it's it's extremely important to to realize kind of how those tools have been adopted and used and um, evolved, especially based on community contributions over time. If this is going to be kind of a style guide and formatter for the people, um, then it it should be strongly considered the ways in which um, those tools have have evolved and what they look like today, mm-hmm. um, even if not. You know, for for their technical implementation, then at least for kind of the um, the the lessons learned from building and deploying them at scale, really. Okay, now I'd like to take a minute to thank our second sponsor for this episode, which is Clubhouse. Um, Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone on every team together to build better products. Clubhouse provides the perfect balance of simplicity and structure for better cross-functional collaboration. It's fast, intuitive. Uh, Its fast, intuitive interface makes it easy for people on any team to focus in on their work on a specific task or project, while also be able, while also being able to zoom out and see how work uh, is contributing towards the bigger picture. They have a simple API and a robust set of integrations. Uh, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools you use every day, uh, getting out of your way so that you can deliver quality software on time. Uh, If you're interested, uh, you can sign up for two months free as a Swift Unwrapped listener. Uh, Just go to clubhouse.io slash Swift Unwrapped. So the second part of this proposal um, gets into... Uh, the actual formatting tool and having an official formatter for Swift. And I guess we have uh, Google's formatting tool, uh, which is open source, but it's not really clear if anyone uses that outside of Google. Um, I guess it's in their fork of Swift, so it'd probably be um, 
difficult to try to use um, outside of, I don't know, their custom tool chain or something. I, I wonder how all of that works, actually. Um, and then there's Nick Lockwood's uh, Swift format tool. And then there's SwiftLint's correctable rules as well. Right. Which, right. last I checked, I think was about 50 or so of the like 120 SwiftLint rules that are correctable. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's that as well. Right. Um, yeah, so looking at, uh, we'll, we'll link to this, um, Google's Swift fork. They have this branch called Format. Um, in which they've been developing this. Uh, it's, it's got something like 400 commits at this point. Um, and uh, from my understanding, talking especially a few months ago when I last talked to some of the people involved in this effort, um, it was mostly uh, aiming to enforce and format um, a style guide that was a little closer to the style guide used uh, in the Swift standard library itself, m- more so than the kind of Apple developer platform style guide that's emerged from the community over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unclear to me the extent to which uh, that has changed. Um, and it seems like some of the things uh, that I, I last knew about it have, for example, um, I believe that at some point in time, it was only possible to... Um, overwrite code to reformat it, um, that it, it didn't have this concept of more of a linter side of things. And that seems to have changed um, where there's now uh, a mode that you can pass in, either format or lint, um, where you can run this code. Uh, and my guess would be that uh, it, it would be a little closer to Swift format and Swift lint's correctable rule subset where you would only have violations for things that can be automatically corrected. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure though. I haven't fully read this in detail. Mm -hmm. So a little bit about the details of like how this is built. This is built on top of uh, Swift syntax, which um, is an official swift.org project. Um, It's in its own repo. Now you can actually pull it in yourself uh, as a Swift package manager dependency. And that, um, has a bunch of code gen in it that uses the same um, definition files that the Swift compiler parser uses to parse Swift code to also generate um, this syntax tool. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite that they share the parser, right? It's not like this is using the same, like the parsing phase of the Swift compiler. It's more that they're both different tools built from some of the same uh, core um, data sets. Yeah, basically they're both built on top of the same base data, but their algorithms are still different. Mm-hmm. And ultimately Swift syntax needs to call in to uh, the Swift compiler to get the parse tree in like a serialized form. Um, recently they've actually like exposed some dynamic methods that Swift syntax calls into the Swift compiler libraries for, uh, just for performance, but ultimately the parsing is still done by the Swift compiler, and it's just kind of repackaged as part of this syntax tool where you can visit mm-hmm. syntax trees. Right, right. You know, one thing that's not uh, really clear from the pitch so far is um, whether or not there would be any sort of configurability by users. 
Right. And that is briefly discussed in the forum. Uh, I can't remember who mentioned it, but the person who commented said uh, or mentioned tools like SwiftLint and Swift Format and how they do have opinions and certain defaults, but they're very, very easily configurable by the user. Um, I think that absolutely has to happen. If the Swift formatter has all the defaults of whatever this official style guide ends up being, but has some sort of uh, plugin system that we can hook into to override rules that we don't like for our team or add rules or disable rules, I think, um, yeah, I, I think that's a necessary thing for the formatter to have. Yeah, so in terms of adding custom rules, um, the author of the of the pitch uh, definitely touches on this, where um, they say that they do have plans for more exten- extensibility into the tool that haven't yet been built, uh, hasn't been implemented yet. Um, and one of those is where custom rules could be written as Swift syntax visitors and then having logic as part of Swift format uh, or, or whatever this ends up being called. Right now it's it's being called Swift dash format um, that would add logic to either enable or disable rules in the configuration. Um, so that seems to be more or less covered, but not quite to the extent of kind of configuring an existing rule. Mm-hmm. More just um, adding new ones and disabling existing ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what this would look like when, like, let's say we do have this tool and then it's part of the official Swift project. So then it automatically adopts Swift's release cycle as well. Um, that seems like it might be frustrating to make changes or add official rules or whatever. Um, because then you wouldn't see those for multiple months or, you know, you wouldn't be able to use those yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a concern that I share as well. Um, But there are some advantages in terms of adoption and um, and I suppose like more official support as well by having it be one of the like sanctioned official projects. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's trade-offs on either end there. I can tell you, you know, SwiftLint, Swift Format, they've had, you know, multiple releases a month for the most part, right? Um, also, the ability to kind of have, and, and there are trade-offs here, right? But this concept of opt-in versus on by default rules, where it's really encouraged um, a culture of sharing uh, some, you know, aspects of linting or formatting that uh, may only be applicable but still valuable to a subset of Swift users. Whereas this seems like it would really need to um, like aim for the 99% case. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, earlier I mentioned uh, that in, in alternatives considered, you know, I think the, the tools that have been adopted by the community should be very strongly considered in terms of the decisions that, that were made for those tools. And, um, and, and the pitch author, uh, Tony, touches on this a little further um, in, in the forum thread 
where uh, you mentioned that Swift Dash format um, has been implemented from day one with the desire to contribute it back to the main Swift project. Uh, that is, it doesn't have any non-Apple dependencies, right? Uh, which is definitely important in terms of doing that. And it's built on top of Swift syntax, so it can take full advantage of the language parse, parser and syntactic structure. Um, and to that extent, or on that note, he touches on uh, how that pertains to SwiftLint and Swift format. Um, so he says, to my knowledge, SwiftLint and Swift format, at least their latest releases, are still relying on SourceKit or other parsing methods. Um, that's totally true. SwiftLint is built on SourceKit, um, so it also leverages the, the language parser and syntactic structure. Um, it actually has a little bit more information than that, and some things are, are also lost as part of that SourceKit layer. Uh, and then Swift Format uses its own Swift parser, actually, which has some really nice um, properties in terms of being able to, um, uh, to have some information that maybe wouldn't be readily available either via SourceKit or via mm -hmm. uh, the parser directly, um, that it can, uh, it, it has a flexibility of, of adding that a lot more easily. Um, so these three tools are actually like three very different approaches to solving this problem. Um, what I'll say though is um, uh, I've explored integrating support for writing Swift syntax-based rules in SwiftLint. Mm -hmm. um, and the main problem there was actually not uh, ergonomics or functionality. It was um, performance related, mm -hmm. uh, which any tool that parses thousands or hundreds of of, uh, of Swift files would run into. Um, and I've got to say, you know, kudos to uh, the Swift team that works on this because they've made uh, some significant changes to how some of the plumbing works um, to really speed it up, like by a factor of a thousand. Yeah. Um, where it becomes a lot more reasonable to do so. So, um, you know, these, these points that... Uh, uh, the Swift Dash format would be built on top of Swift Syntax as a differentiator. Um, it's definitely valid, but it's not as much of a showstopper uh, as as one might think. Right. Um, and in fact, like when I do have a little bit more time, I do plan on uh, reinvestigate whether or not uh, moving some of the SwiftLint rules to Swift Syntax could make sense. Mm -hmm. Now, the the first point though of having no outside non-ample dependencies that's definitely a big one. Um, I will say though that SwiftLint is uh, MIT licensed, and um, e, what is it? Swift Format I think also has a similar um, permissive license as well. Yeah, I believe it's MIT, but I'm just pulling it up now. Sorry, Nick, for not knowing this off the top of my head. It is MIT. Yeah. Cool. Um, and you know when you when you also consider like w how strong or pervasive are the dependencies used in those projects, right? Because it would definitely be an option to um, minimize the dependence on some of those non-Apple dependencies. Uh, I think for both projects, it's it it's not all that pervasive. Like there's no core part of the project that relies on like some big complex uh, non-Apple dependency. Mm -hmm. You know, I can say that I maintain most of SwiftLint's dependencies, and I think Swift Format doesn't have all that many mm -hmm. outside of what's in the core project. Mm -hmm. um, so really, 
you know, I, I think we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't completely rule out uh, as part of alternatives um, what it would take to seriously consider some of these uh, community-adopted projects. Right. As opposed to, um, you know, an alternative is not having anything official under the SWIFT projects umbrella and simply using the community projects that already exist? No, I was saying more in terms of like, um, uh, you know, this pitch is proposing moving something, moving uh, a Swift formatter into uh, an official Swift.org project. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that um, we shouldn't rule out doing that with some of the community adopted tools as well, or instead. Right. Um, or perhaps finding some sort of you know hybrid approach where you know similar to what's being done with um, the Swift on the server working groups where you have a number of uh, frameworks with competing functionality uh, where the principal maintainers are actually working together in terms of coming up with um, with a part of the project that would be an official Swift project right mm -hmm. I'm saying there's a lot of value in that where for like Vapor, Katura, Perfect, like these are adopted projects that um, the 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 authors have like gained a little bit of experience in terms of um, specifically for for that target of like being a Swift project. Right. Um, how the community has requested that it evolve over time and the lessons that they've learned. That being said, like. Um, I do think what's probably going to happen is that this Swift Dash format tool will probably, like if, if this moves forward, that's probably the tool that's going to to land upstream in, in Swift. Um, and I also don't see that as being kind of the end of the utility of external community-based tools like SwiftLint and Swift Format. For sure. For you know the release schedule aspects that you talked about, but also mm -hmm. uh, the ability to cater to more than things that only apply to the 99% case as well. Right. Yeah, I wonder if then, I mean, I'm assuming that then this new formatter tool would also require Swift Evolution proposals to be modified in a substantial way. Perhaps. Um, that's unclear because when you look at some of the um, tooling projects that are in the Swift.org project set, uh, not all of them require um, Swift evolution uh, discussion. Sure. So, like changes to uh, other tooling, like SourceKit, um, right, is considered on a case by case basis rather than uh, requiring Swift evolution discussion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's unclear whether or not this tool would would fall in in which bucket. Uh, yeah, maybe it could be some sort of hybrid too, where minor, more minor changes could avoid Swift evolution and major ones would require it. Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I, I want to say I'm, um, I'm fairly excited mm -hmm. about the, the prospect of having, uh, at the very least, better Swift tooling. Um, because if, if this does move forward, it will kind of require more effort being put into like the capabilities of things that you can do um, on top of Swift syntax or uh, even on top of this tool, right? Right. Um, like, what if this tool is developed 
in a way that it supports Swift PM and you can actually pull in some of its core rules as a module in your own Swift PM projects, right? Um, there's some there's some nice things that could happen out of this for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that'd be nice to see. And I, I think there's a lot of smart people who've been working on on this tool in particular, um, and it's definitely being built in like a fairly modern way, mm-hmm. where you know it's being built on top of Swift syntax, being built like purposely with the intent to upstream it, like. I think this has the best chance of, of really anything to like pushing that envelope forward. Um, I'm just hoping that uh, we're not blind to uh, the the community and what they've adopted and the reasons why they've adopted certain tools. Um, you know, so that we we maybe learn from some of the mistakes that we had with Swift Package Manager. And like, I love the Swift Package Manager, but when it first came out, like it was trumpeted as like oh and and if not directly by apple like they didn't prevent people from like trumpeting the fact that this would replace carthage and cocoa pods and everything's gonna be so much better and and in in truth like that's not what happens nor is it what should happen but we should just be like honest with um with what role uh tools or new projects play where they are aiming to kind of make things better, which this definitely has the potential of, of having a lot of that surface area and where, where they don't. Right. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And there's some discussion this week about uh, all of that on Twitter as well. And um, I think the community open source projects are always going to move faster than the Apple projects. Um, that's been the case so far at least. And so I think that's going to be one thing that uh, is always like a point of tension at least. Well, one one uh, axis in which I think that's especially true is pragmatism, where, um, you know, Swift PM does not support the ability to have iOS or uh, any non-Mac OS um, platform targets, right? And uh, And I think... If it were a community-driven tool, like it probably would not have gained much adoption because it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have pragmatically met the needs of its consumers. Right. Um, and I think, you know, if if this tool, whatever it ends up being, um, can really look at things from a pragmatic standpoint rather than like a purity standpoint, like saying we're not gonna, we're not going to do things that like require being cr- quote unquote creative i.e. hacky it just in the name of delivering like um a pragmatically useful feature Mm -hmm. um i hope that this can this can be a little bit more pragmatic than some of the like very elegant very pure kind of projects i mean there everything is hacks but (laughs) and which is why like if there's a very high value thing that a hack provides you and and if the risk is more like architectural rather than like dangerous you know yeah then it's worth at least being considered yeah i'm also inherently biased like i'm one of the early authors of swiftlint so like take everything i'm saying with a grain of sand but um or, or salt yeah <laughs> wrong expression um but yeah i i'm, I'm trying to to uh, take a step back and look at the bigger picture here. Sure. 
Cool. Well, I think that's all we have time to discuss today. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors, uh, Clubhouse. You can go to clubhouse.io slash swiftunwrapped. And also Sentry, sentry.io slash four slash swift. As always, if you enjoy the show, please do leave a review on iTunes. And we'll catch you next time. You can find the show on Twitter at Swift underscore Unwrapped. You can find me at Jesse underscore Squires. And I'm at SimJP. Thanks for listening.